Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here as we want to get ready to dive right into the book of Haggai. If you were with us last week, we started a a series through the book of Haggai called Renew the Vision, um, and we had uh, one week so far. It's only a three-week series, and so uh, if you are just coming today, it's not too late to get caught up uh, online, Um, but if you've been here for the second week, I just encourage you to power through uh, for next week as well as we can get the whole picture of what it means to renew the vision of God's kingdom them in our lives and our role in building it. And so even though this is a minor prophet, it has a major impact in our lives. And so if you will join me in a word of prayer as we get ready uh, to dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are here in this place. Lord, thank you for each and every person that is here this morning and each person that is listening online. I pray everyone who hears my voice now knows, and if they don't, that they would, by the end of this service, would know deeply how much you love them. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. And I pray, God, that our lives would be changed because of what you are doing in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Steph's uh, in-laws were here this past week. She went to a conference and was able to have a great time there. Um, And as her her parents were there, uh, my in-laws are great. And so um, we were able to have some... We're running around a lot, but there are a couple nights we were at the dinner table. And and Grammy, who's Steph's mom, had mentioned, you know, it's... I, I, she was saying that she never had really heard a lot of stories about me growing up because, you know, they have stories that they've shared and they took pictures. They just went on a road trip and saw, um, you know, old family homes and things. And so it was a lot of really cool moments for our kids to be able to hear stories about their grandparents as kids. And so, you know, Grammy said, you know, I haven't really heard a lot of stories about you. And, and you know, there's a few that I've shared here and there um, with the kids, but there's one that, uh, that stands out um, specifically just around this time, where it was October 17th, 1989. Does anybody, what, does that date ring a bell for anybody right off the bat? October 17th, 1989. Wonderful. That's okay. Let's go uh, the first slide here. The October 17th, 1989 was game three of the World Series between the San Diego, or San Diego, sorry, that's... <laughs> Someone's saying that's not going to happen. I'm not going to comment on that. Let's move on. Um, We can edit that in post. No, we can't. That's fine. Um, This was uh, the Giants playing the A's in the Bay Area. And that was a big deal in the Bay Area. But what happened on that night was a much bigger deal because on October 17th, 1989, was the Loma Prieta earthquake, which we see a picture of here, that you start to see the damage of the bridge and the, the telecast of, of the World Series, you know, cuts out. And uh, let's go to the next picture as well, where there's a police officer who's just looking at the devastation of the bridge, of just cars crashing. And it was just this devastating earthquake. Now, October 17th, 1989, was a big deal in the Bay Area when we were growing up. But October 17th, 1989, was a big deal for me because that was my dad's birthday. And so I remember being in school and like the power was out and I was one of those kids, I don't know why, um, but as a child, I didn't like cake. I know, I was the one. And so we didn't have birthday cake for my dad and I thought it was the coolest thing because instead of like a birthday cake, we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the dark celebrating my dad's birthday. And I was like, this is, this is the best of days. Um, but I shared that story with the girls because, you know, there's just small stories here and there. Does that, did that story changed my life? No, not necessarily, but 
There's something about looking at the past and remembering what had happened or once we give our lives to the Lord, remembering what God has done that gives us strength to face whatever we're facing now and it can give us hope and peace about whatever we may face tomorrow. Because these stories anchor us. These stories provide an opportunity for us to know what it is that, you know, it's not just happenstance. It's not just these random occurrences. But as we look at our main point on the screen is that stories from the past can give us strength for the present and peace about the future. And you could look at your lives. Maybe you had a moment in your life when things were really difficult. Maybe it wasn't a literal earthquake like, like October 17th, 1989, but there were earthquake, earth-shattering, foundational shattering events in your life. And in those moments, maybe you learned certain lessons. Maybe you learned that you, know, you can't trust people. Maybe you learned that no one's going to be there for you. Maybe you learned that you have to face things on your own. And, and if that's you, then... I hope and I pray that those wounds can be healed through the power of the gospel. Because if we look back on earthquake shattering events in our lives, what we hope and we pray is that we could look back and say, yes, that was earth shattering, but God was with me. Yes, that was rattled my foundation, but Jesus is my foundation. I was able to make it through. Whatever these types of things is, hopefully we can look back and say, okay, now that I've made it through this earth-shattering event and God showed himself to be God and he revealed himself to be present with me, then hopefully, prayerfully, the next time I face a difficult moment, if it's in the present, I could say, okay, he's brought me this far before. I know he will meet me now here again. And if it's in the future, say, I don't know what the world's, what, it's, what I'm going to face. I don't know what earth-shattering event may come into my life. I don't know what small tremor may happen in my life. But I know the same God who was the same yesterday is the same today and will be the same forever. So stories anchor us and give us strength for the present and peace about the future. You know, this morning we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2, and if you were here with us last week, we watched a minute and 20 second introduction of the book of Haggai. Now I know, as much as I would love for all of us to be here all the, every single week, I, I have to be here, so I'm here and I get to enjoy it. Not all of you were here last week, so you may not all have watched or seen how we kind of gave a summary or a background information about the book of Haggai. And so what we're going to do is we're going to watch a video, and this time it's going to be a little over two minutes, that's going to give us a summary of the book of Haggai. So if you're here last week, this is something you have already seen, but then we're going to do a quick about a minute summary of what we talked about last week to catch everybody up so that when we start in the scripture in Haggai chapter 2, which will be on page 1474 in the church Bibles, you can start turning there, but now we'll be all caught up in order to be ready for the message God has for us. So if you'll turn your attention to the screens, let's watch this two-minute video together. The book of the prophet Haggai. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but crucially important in the overall story of the Hebrew Bible. So for centuries, the Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking their covenant with God through idolatry and injustice, and they warned that God would send the great empire of Babylon to take out Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and haul off the people into exile. And it all happened in the year 587 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. The prophets also believed that there was still hope and that God would one day bring back a transformed remnant of his people Israel to live in a new Jerusalem where God's presence would live in their midst. 
Now, when we turn to Haggai, the year is 520 BC, nearly 70 years after the exile. And the Babylonian Empire has recently collapsed, and the world is now ruled by the Persians. Now, they allowed the return of any exiled Israelites who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, which still lay in ruins. And so, under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua and Zerubbabel, an heir from the line of David, and a group of exiles, they all returned and began to rebuild the city and their lives. Remember the story from the book of Ezra chapters 1 to 6. So our hopes are high and the future seems very bright, but it's not actually, at least from Haggai's point of view. The book consists of four sections that summarize Haggai's message given to the people of Jerusalem over the course of four months. He opens by accusing the people of misplaced priorities. And so, yes, they have come back to Jerusalem, but they're spending all of their time and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses, while the temple still lay in ruins from its destruction from 70 years ago. So Haggai asks, are your own houses really more important than your allegiance to God? This neglect, Haggai says, is tantamount to the covenant rebellion of their ancestors, which is why the land is still unproductive, why they've been struck with famine and drought. And here Haggai's quoting from the list of covenant curses in the book of Deuteronomy. And so Haggai's challenging words, they're followed by a story of the people's response. Remember also the story in Ezra chapter 5. We're told that Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people were provoked by Haggai's message and they were motivated. They started rebuilding the temple. So that's catching us up to where we are this morning. That as we dive into Haggai chapter 2, we're going to look at how the story of the past, the stories of their past, will give them strength for the present and hope, or sorry, peace about the future. So in your notes, strength for the present is the next um, headliner there or the, or the next section there. And the note right underneath that just tells us something that it's okay for us to admit. That sometimes that we need to be okay with admitting things aren't okay. We need to be okay with admitting things aren't okay. You know, we often have time to say, hey, how are you doing? Like, oh, I'm good. Or how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. And inside, we say that on the outside, but on the inside, we're, we're struggling, we're, we're confused, we're hurting, we're wounded. And, and we feel like for some reason that it's wrong for us to be able to share that something might be wrong. And so here's a story that here's part of where we see as we're jumping into the story of Haggai chapter two of how Haggai leads the people through some of these emotions that they're feeling. This is actually the very end of Haggai 1, 15, part B, but then we'll jump into Haggai 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Really quickly, last week, they started building on the 24th day of the sixth month. So Haggai is coming about a month into their rebuilding process. If any of you ever... Um, did something like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose weight, or oh, I'm going to run a marathon, or oh, I'm going to start a new habit. What do they talk about? They talk about if you make it through the first 21 days, those three weeks, and are focusing on making a habit a habit, then you're more likely to keep going. But if you've ever fasted or you ever had those times where you recognize it's right around the section where you're like, oh, man, this is getting really tough. So God sends Haggai a month later into the building process to encourage the people to share and to keep going forward to give them strength for the present. Verse 2. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Again, this is a message to the leaders like last week's was, but this time it does include speaking to the people as well. 
It says this, ask them, verse 3, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? See, some scholars, when he says, who of you have been here to see the former glory of this temple? Some scholars believe that's the clue to the fact that Haggai is old enough to have seen the temple in its glory about 70 years ago. Now, that may be a possibility, but the truth is, is, is textually speaking, he doesn't say who among us was there to see it. He says, who of you? So textually speaking, he's more likely younger, but pointing to the people say, hey, do you remember how beautiful that was? And Haggai doesn't sugarcoat the truth. You know, in order to be in leadership or in order to be someone who's going to encourage someone, we have to be able to recognize that in order to encourage, this person must be needing courage. There must be a struggle. There must be something going on. And it's okay to admit that things aren't okay. He looks around and says, how many of you were here? Notice they've been working for a month. And he says, compared to the former glory, isn't, doesn't this look like nothing? Doesn't this look... Like it's just ruins and nothing's really moved forward. And he calls it out and just says, it's okay that things aren't okay. It's okay to share that we need help and that it's okay to admit we need to be encouraged. But I love this idea of being able to encourage someone because it's just literally the idea of putting courage into somebody in order to breathe life into them. That when God formed Adam, he formed him and he formed Eve and then he breathed life into them. When we encourage people, we have the opportunity to breathe life into those who are deflated and discouraged and disheartened. And so we get to breathe life and we see that Haggai starts off by saying, yeah, isn't this really bad? But that's not the end of it. See, uh, R.A. Taylor and E.H. Clendenin, in one of the commentaries I'll be quoting throughout the New American Commentary on Haggai, says, there was no comparison between the two buildings, and the people were loath to pretend there was. The high hopes they had entertained at the beginning of their work had now turned into disappointment. See, when things aren't okay, people may want to try to sugarcoat it, may want to try to gloss over it. But if we gloss over it and we pretend that there's nothing wrong, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our families, when it comes to our careers, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, I mean, any of these types of things, if we aren't okay with admitting things aren't okay, things will very rarely get better. But if we're able to share with one another, do life with one another, get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church together, then we'll be able to do life together in such a way that we know people well enough to say, listen, on Sunday morning, I'm smiling and things are okay. But Monday through Saturday, my life is tough. Will you pray with me? Will you come alongside me? I need to know it's okay to admit things aren't okay. But then, we, again, we don't stop there. He acknowledges the pain, but listen what he does in verse 4. Because if the first few verses we see that it's, it's okay to admit things aren't okay, the next thing we see is that we are strengthened, strengthened, by God's covenant. We are strengthened by God's covenant. Verses four and five tell us this. But now, we've noticed the past, and Haggai says, yeah, look at the past. It's, there's nothing compared to this, but he says, but now, in the present, in this moment, here's what I say to you, but now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the Lord, 
or sorry, people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Do you remember the message that we talked about last week, the idea that there's one message upon which we can build the foundation of our lives, and that one message are these four words that God says, I am with you. And he repeats it again here. He says, listen, I know you're discouraged. We're not sugarcoating that things aren't okay, but guess what? I am with you. Doesn't make it easy, but guess what? I'm going to be with you, and I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. That we see here that they're encouraged to be strong three different times to, to Joshua, Zerubbabel, and the people. He says, be strong, be strong, be strong. We see this trifold call from the Lord to be strong as well in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. When Joshua is getting ready, Moses had just died. They're about to go into the promised land after years in the wilderness. And God in Joshua 1, 6 through 9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Follow, lead the people. Be strong and courageous. And three times in four verses, God tells Joshua to be strong. Well, three times in one verse, God is telling Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people to be strong. In fact, there's a, um, the quotation from New American Commentary says that this intentional trifold call to courage and strength is not there by happenstance. In the notes, or as a quote, persistent obedience to God's calling for them would be accompanied by the enabling blessing of his presence for the accomplishment of things greater than they could imagine. They should forge ahead with their work, drawing strength from the Lord's invigorating presence with them. Again, when we're discouraged and we know things aren't okay, we can either allow that discouragement to overwhelm our lives and that that would be the driver or rather the stopper of what God has for us. Or, we can say, if God brought me through the past, past difficulties, past, past trials, past struggles, then he surely can give me strength for the present. And now, as Zubabal was told, as Joshua was told, as the people were told by Haggai, but now be strong. Not fake strength, not put a mask that says you're strong, but truly be strong. Why? Because the Lord is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Surely it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. There will be hurts and heartaches and difficulties. But isn't it a comfort to know that even in the hurts and the heartaches and the difficulties, we could either face those alone or we could face those with our God who's the God of all comfort, who comes alongside us and when we need it, can breathe life into us again. We continue on. Verse 5 says, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. That the covenant out of Egypt, he's referring to Exodus 19. We won't read the whole section, but it's the Mount Sinai when all of a sudden there's this earth-shattering moment where there's an earthquake and, and the voice of the Lord is coming, and it's a reminder of the, the idea of the covenant of saying, if you do these things, if you listen to me, if you obey my commandments, which Exodus 19 is Mount Sinai, the next chapter, Exodus 20, is when he gives the, the Ten Commandments. He's like, if you obey me and you follow me, then you will be among my special people. You will be a separate people, a, a holy nation, a priesthood. And he's saying, if you will obey and you will come alongside, my covenant with you is that I will be with you. And yet we see, shortly thereafter, they 
fall in the wilderness, and then they have to go for 40 more years because they just escaped the Exodus. God says, follow me. I'll be with you. This is what I'm covenanting with you about. And then, like so easy for all of us, we believe God's promises, and then we get distracted, and then we fall away, and then we experience heartache for the, out of the fruition of what we're struggling with, and then we cry out to God, and thanks be to God, he's the God of second, third, fourth, and bajillion chances that he will save us. It's the cycle of the book of Judges, but we see it here that the people were covenanted out of Egypt that God would be with them. And so God is reminding them, remember that trial of Egypt? Remember the power of the Exodus? I told you then I'd be with you, and guess what? I brought you through that. I brought you out of the exile of Babylon, and now I brought you back amongst the holy land, the promised land I've given to you. I brought you through that. There's a story of your past that I should give you strength for your present circumstances. You know why? For I am with you. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So we see here the strength that we can have for the present, but we also need peace about the future. What, what is our life going to look like, and how do we know how we're going to make it through? So in your notes, peace about the future, and, and the part underneath that, your next note there says that God may shake your world or shake the world, but in him we will not be shaken. Verse 6 and 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Remember, this is coming off to right after he talked about the covenant. So there he's taking them back to Mount Sinai when he shook the earth. Verse 7, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. That last night, uh, the girls were watching uh, The Incredibles with Pixar, and there's always a moment. I was in the other room working, and, and Steph was working on stuff upstairs, and there's a moment when, you know, whenever, if you've seen it, there's like that big robot. Elise calls it the spider because it's got four legs. And I don't want to tell you, no, there's only four legs instead of eight. You know, it's fine. It's fine. But this huge like spider looking robot. And whenever that robot comes, when there's like five minutes before, she's like, daddy, get ready to come. And I'm like, I walk up I'm like, oh, honey, like, you know, there's still time left. And then I'm in the other room. And she's like, daddy, come now. And I'm running in, sitting down. And all, all they want is just me to like put my arm around them, right? Just to let them know I'm here and, and things are fine and everything's going to be okay. See, they know something scary or something will happen that might make them worried, but what do they want? They just want their dad with them in the midst of it. That we will all have times, whether currently in the, in the present we're needing strength or the future that we do not see and we do not know where the road God will take us, that for many of you this year, if you would have looked back on January 1st and now you're here on Octo in October 27th, you said, I would have had no idea that this is where my year would have looked or what it would have looked like. And yet God is faithful God is with us. No matter how the past 10 and a half months have been, God is with us, and we can rely on that. Because we're going to have times when things are difficult, but we also know that we can rely on him, that when tough times come, when things are scary, and the world is shaking around us, there's transformational events surrounding us, we want to know that our dad is with us. He's putting his hand upon us, saying, I'm, I'm here. Do not fear. My spirit remains in you, or with you. I am with you. 
God may shake the world around us. And if we find our identity or foundation in anything else other than God, then those things surely will be shaken so we know that the only one we truly need to build our lives on is God. But we see that here in the moment, that God is with us and we will not be shaken. Now, the, na- the last part of your notes there under the piece about the future tells us this. Verses 8 and 9 show us that the difficulties of the past become the testimonies that give us peace about the future. The difficulties of the past become the testimonies that give us peace about the future. Verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's stop there. He's talking about this glory that's going to come from the temple, that there is the former glory that we saw that was beautiful, that we sang about or we read about in Second Chronicles earlier, that this moment of the beauty of the glory descending upon the temple. And then Haggai speaking, or God speaking through Haggai talks about how, you know, the glory will come back to this place. But then he says in verse 8, the, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. What is he talking about here? Well, he's referring back to the idea that in order to, to make the temple or to build the temple, if you were to look in the Old Testament earlier, they would explain the various, um, the various materials that would be needed in order to make it. And so what he's saying is that all of this, all the uh, silver and the gold in this world is mine. That he is able to disperse it. He is able to bring about the glory of the temple, the beauty, the majesty of that temple, not through the people that have been in exile and are coming back and who are poor, but through the power of other nations in order to provide. Because again, he's the Lord of all. This is not the first time we see something like this. In fact, in the Exodus event, God gives a command to Moses before he goes back. This is in Exodus 3, which is still when he's calling out of the burning bush. There's this, these two verses that let's, let's pay attention to, verses 21 and 22. God says, And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. See, out of the trials, the difficulties of Egypt, God brought about treasures that became the foundation upon which they could have their moments of worship. That in your lives, in my life, in our lives, the trials that we have, that God could bring us treasures, whether those are relationships with people that walked us through that and now we wouldn't change those relationships for the world. Maybe it's blessings and wisdom and insight, a testimony that can bless someone, that out of the darkness of your life, you can then be a light to someone else. That out of the trials of our lives come the treasures that are the foundation of our worship. Because those gold and silver that was taken from Egypt that was plundered by the people were the materials that were used to build the tabernacle, the place of worship in the desert. That out of our trials come the treasures used to worship God in the tabernacle. If God came through then, why couldn't he come through to the Israelites now? Why couldn't he bring the silver and the gold from other nations now? Why would he only work that way and not work this way again? So he's telling people, listen, the glory will come. The majesty of this place will come. And it'll come through the gold and the silver that I alone own because the earth is his and everything in it. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. 
So verse 8 is talking about that financial or that, that physical majesty of his glory. But then verse 9 goes a different direction. He says, the glory of this present house, as nothing as it looks now, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And to this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. It is in this place, it's this temple that once it had been created again, who's the one that kind of built up this temple to be up to its majesty again? Herod. It's Herod's temple that was rebuilt. So this is the temple that was rebuilt. Then Herod came and he made it more beautiful. Someone who was outside of the people of God that God used to furnish it up and to make it greater again. But it's in Herod's temple. It's in this temple that when the peace that was promised, the sacrifice that was made, was when Jesus died on the cross, and we see what happens in Matthew 27, 51. The idea that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Remember, he'll shake the earth again. The earth shook, and the rocks split. That this temple, like the tabernacle before, there was a, a curtain that separated where the people could go, where the priests could go, in the holy place. And then there was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where his presence resided. And we talked about that briefly last week. Well, in the temple, there was still the idea of the, the holy place and then the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And this curtain that was not, you know, a curtain like, you know, one of the ones you see here or see at your home, but it was this thick veil, this thick curtain, and it was rent from top to bottom and separated to show that now there is no division amongst men and God anymore because God had sent his son to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death, but to be raised to new life so that we could enter into the throne room of grace with confidence, not by offering sacrifices before we get there, but because Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice so we can know him. And we see that now this peace that was promised to happen in this temple was far more than an absence of conflict with the nations around them. In fact, we know there's still conflict in the nation of Israel. That hasn't stopped. The peace is not a lack of conflict, but it's the presence of God and the presence of Christ's sacrifice that allows us to have peace with the Father that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how God demonstrated his love for us. So as we close, we've talked about the strength for the present. We've talked about the um, peace about the future. But I want to take the next few moments to show us what story is it. We refer to it kind of here and, that, but here and there, but what story is the story from the past that is giving the strength now and is giving the peace for the future. And this is the story of Sukkot or Sukkot. And this is one of the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the, the dates are very important when it comes to the Hebrew Scriptures. And so in verse 1, let me read verse 1 one more time. Verse 1 says, In the second year of King Darius, and then verse 1, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. The 21st day of the seventh month doesn't mean anything to you and me. But the 21st day of the seventh month was the Feast of the Tabernacles culmination in this idea of Sukkot. And what would happen is that this Feast of Tabernacles, if you want to find out more about it, I, I don't have time to go into all the details of it, but you can look up Leviticus 23, 33 through 43. So Leviticus 23, 33 through 43. And then Nehemiah 8, 14 through 17. And there's others as well. Let me read what Sukkot is. That Sukkot 
occurs after the harvest has been completed and before the beginning of the new agricultural year. It includes well-deserved rest from one's labor and sincere rejoicing what God has done in providing for his people. Jews are also called upon to remember God's providential care over us after we were redeemed from bondage in Egypt. Jews are to remember his provision for us during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. That is why God commanded Israel to observe the festival by leaving our permanent dwellings to live in the more fragile temporary booths or the Sukkot. And so if you've heard the Feast of the Tabernacles, Feast of the Festival of the Booths, Sukkot, these are all the same idea that remind us that God brought his people out of the wilderness when they were living in temporary shelters. And so even though it may have been a great harvest, and you say, oh, we're so, we're so well off now, even if it's a bad harvest, and they say, I don't know how we're going to make it. God says, hey, I provided for you back then. I can still do that now. Even if we're in a good economy now and we feel great about it, or even if we're in a bad economy now and we don't feel great about it, God says, hey, I brought you out of it then. I can bring you out of it now. And so here are some things that you would do, as or Jewish people would do, to celebrate this event, the Sukkot. And let's see how many of them we could connect to what we just read. Because again, this is the day of celebration. What's the first thing that would happen on this day, the seventh day of the, tw- the 21st day, excuse me, of the seventh month? They're not 21 months. That doesn't make sense. Um, so we have this, the seventh uh, month, the 21st day. The first thing that happened on this very date in history, in 1 Kings chapter 8, is the dedication of the first temple. So as they're walking around the temple and they're looking at it, and they would be able to say, hey, this, when Haggai says, hey, this, this temple doesn't look anything like that one, does it? He says that because that was the very day, that that was the exact date that they dedicated the original temple. So their minds are already thinking about the temple that they're helping to build and the temple from the past and how how are we ever going to make it back to this past when we have this present. So he gives them strength for it. But we see here that when he told his son to be Solomon to be strong and courageous, so he gives those words of encouragement as well. But in 1 Kings 8, the dedication of the temple is directly referring to what's happening in Haggai 2. He's talking about the temple because they just were celebrating that dedication. The next thing that happens, according to Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 13, is a reading of the law, a reading of the law, that they would read it together. And Deuteronomy 31 says, read this section, read this, er- this, this passage to the people on Sukkot, on the final day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And so why did Haggai tell the leaders and the people to be strong three times? Because in Deuteronomy 31, the chapter they would have just read out loud as a people, Moses tells Joshua and the people to be strong and courageous three times. So again, this is getting us a picture, painting a picture of, oh my gosh, they just circled around the temple. They just talked about the temple because it was dedicated. They just talked about how Haggai needed to encourage the people three times because God had encouraged Joshua three times on that same day to celebrate years before. The next thing that's referred to is the covenant out of Egypt. Why did Haggai mention this covenant and the earth shaking? Because it reminded them of the covenant at Sinai, just like at the beginning of the wilderness journey. He said, again, this covenant promise that you've fallen short on, that's so easy to fall short on, 
don't give up because that same covenant that I made to you, that I would be with you coming out of Egypt, I covenanted this with you. That still holds true today because my spirit still remains among you. I am still with you. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. And so the covenant out of Egypt is the same story that we celebrate in Sukkot. The next thing is the idea of the treasure out of our trials. Why is there such an emphasis on specifically gold and silver in Haggai 2 verse 8? Because they were just talking about the exodus in which God brought the treasure of the gold and the silver and they plundered the Egyptians out of Egypt when they escaped through the exodus. In fact, Exodus 12, 35, and 36 tell us the, the completion of the command that God gave to people in Exodus 3. Exodus 12, as they're leaving so the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So all these sections so far in Haggai 2 have exact correlations to the same date in history, the seventh month, the 21st day, the festival of Sukkot. And the last one, the last one in your notes is the idea of the light of the world. That as part of the celebration, when it talks about what greater glory, there'll be a greater glory in verse 9 that will come onto this house, and there'll be peace when, that, when I grant it. What greater glory is the one that he's talking about? Well, as part of this feast, as part of the celebration on the 21st day, there would be giant golden lampstands that were lit, and then they would walk around the courtyard, and people would carry the torches marching around the temple, and then set these lights around the walls of the temple, indicating that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. So we see from the very beginning that everything that Haggai's talking about has a direct connection to the story of Sukkot, the direct connection to how God had been faithful to bring his people out of the wilderness to rebuild and make his presence known amongst them and to set them apart as his covenant people. And now at 520 BC, he's taking his people who are just out of, not slavery, but captivity and exile, bringing them back to his place to reestablish his presence, to say, I am with you and I will provide for you and I'm covenanting with you as my people. And he's using all these different things that would make so much sense to them that on that specific day of all days, God knew what message the people needed to hear. That Isaiah 49, 6 says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel that I have kept? And I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Is it possible that God had to say something so specific to this people then on a specific date that reminded them of specific stories that gave them specific strength they needed for the present and a specific peace about the future? Is it possible that if God did that then, he can do that for you today? That there's something you, we, I, we all need to hear about how much God loves us, about how he's with us, about out of our trials, we can receive treasures that will help us worship God, that we can be lights to the world and, and help other people far from him come to know him. So what are those things in your life? What are those areas that maybe you've pretended that things are okay and maybe it's the things that aren't okay in our lives that God wants to work in us and through us that are the exact things that will help us to be a light and a blessing to the world around us. That if we let those walls and those masks fall down and we share with those around us and do life together, maybe, just maybe, God would work in such a way that now your darkest moment 
would be used as a light to others who are in dark moments. Maybe you are right now are in that moment, so you need strength to be strong and courageous. And you need peace because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what the end of this day will bring. And your year has not been what you expected it to be. But God is faithful. God's presence is with you. You are not alone. And there is a body of Christ here that could pray and come alongside you in that journey if we only knew what was really going on in your lives. We can actually be the church to one another and not just go to church sitting next to each other. Many of us are experiencing what it means to be the church, but some of us in this room haven't. May this be a day that starts a new understanding of what it means to admit things aren't okay, to recognize that our world is shaken, but I is shaking, but I'm not being shaken because of God, and have a community together. Because stories from the past can give us strength for the present and peace about the future. Again, much of the power as we close, much of the power of this message in Haggai is tied to the specific date because it ties back to this story specifically that they celebrated with Sukkot. And it would be like someone speaking on a date that is important for us, in our culture, in our nation, a date that would be specific to us that we would need to hear, that is important for us to resonate with us and has all the more power because of the date that it happened. In fact, I shared with you earlier that October 17th, 1989 was the day that the earthquake happened. Well, the exact date in Haggai chapter 2 is October 17th, 520 BC. That exactly 2,509 years before the earthquake, or considering we're in 2019, now it's 2,539 years ago, 10 days ago, that this message was a message we needed to hear, and this message is a message we still need to hear. But think about this. If we had a specific message on a specific time and a specific date that would have the most specific impact that then it would be tying in, and Haggai does this beautifully. And so I could think of, of no better option than for us to turn our attention in, in a moment or two to a, a movie clip um, about aliens. Let me explain. So if you've ever seen the 1995 movie Independence Day, uh, there's a moment in which on July 2nd, the Earth is attacked by aliens. July 3rd, there's all this devastation. And then the morning of July 4th, before the sun has hit in the sky, there is a battle or there is a, an attack that the, the different nations are all going to come together. And the president gives a speech that I want us to, to take a moment, in fact, about 120 moments, if you will, so two minutes, uh, for us to watch this speech that is tied into the date and because of the date has more power. Let's watch this together. Major. Uh, sir. Good morning. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps 
It's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. All right, that's it. Uh, you know, growing up, that movie came out, I think, when I was 11. And so I remember that speech. And I remember like, oh, because it's Independence Day, that's the name of the movie. Like, and it all makes sense, right? And, and it's all about freedom. And it's about, but not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. I'm like, oh, his voice. Um, but this idea of recognizing that, that he knew because of that day, he could pull in specific ideals, specific cultural connections in order to rally the troops. And, and the part that I wasn't able to play right before this is he's walking up with a general and he says, you know, they look, they look a little nervous. In other words, they're discouraged just like the people in Haggai chapter 2 were. And they need some words. They need some words in order to encourage them, to breathe courage into their lives. And so what we see here is something that is true for us in the word of God, and it's true for our culture. But here's what R.A. Taylor and E.R. Clenenden say together. They say, the ancient prophet of Haggai and the modern preacher alike share a conviction that God's word to past generations speaks with equal force to present believers who stand in need of hearing God's message for their situation. The sacred text speaks afresh to each generation. And so as we close, we remember that moment that we, if we need courage, we remember that God is with us. If we need hope for the future and peace, we recognize that we are not alone in this and that the same God who brought us from where we've been will take us to where we need to be. And then we remember that this moment of Sukkot, of celebrating the end of the festival of the tabernacles in which God showed himself that they, the people, were no longer slaves to fear and no longer slaves in Egypt, but they were set free and that their identity are as children of God, that because of that, that they were able to move forward and have the strength they needed to complete a day, a temple that they won't see in their day. But the belief in the Jewish idea was just like... Um, the president talked about in that clip that the 4th of July will be a day that all people would celebrate because it's a day, it's our Independence Day as a, as a world, that the belief inside the Hebrew calendar is that when the Messiah comes and, and when all the earth knows the Messiah, that the people, all nations would celebrate this day, the day of Sukkot, the day that shows us things may not be okay, but God is with us, that he covenants with us, that we can have peace 
And not just peace is an absence of conflict, but peace is in the presence of Christ. So the stories from our past can anchor us and to give us strength for the present and peace about the future. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that we would feel your presence, Lord. And as we um, are able to recognize that many of us just need your peace that comes from trusting you as our, in the kingdom and living for your kingdom, the peace that surpasses all understanding, that when we are anxious, Lord, that we would pray to you with thanksgiving and present our requests to you and that you would give us peace not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ in our midst. So Lord, I pray for that peace to reign, and I pray that as we sing, that we too, along with the Israelites, would sing out that we are no longer slaves, but we are your children, and you indeed are good, and your love endures forever, including today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.